0: On this episode of the Investment Opportunity Podcast, we're joined by guest David Eppers, CFO of CareSpring Healthcare Management, to discuss operating through COVID.
1: Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland.
0: Welcome everyone to the investment opportunity podcast. I am Ben Boland joined by my brother, Brandon Boland. Uh, We are presented by Senwell senior investment advisors, a senior care and seniors housing investment mergers and acquisitions investment advisory firm. Um, With us on the show today is David Eppers. David is the chief financial officer for CareSpring healthcare management and its family of facilities provide skilled nursing, assisted living, and independent living services to seniors in the Southwest Ohio and Northern Kentucky communities. David, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, how you doing guys?
0: Doing great. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. So David, you and I had a conversation last week and you brought uh, a few interesting perspectives um, to what CareSpring is actually doing through this new era. Can you share with our listeners in terms of um, what how you've set up your facilities uh, to to adjust to the current environment
1: regarding COVID nineteen? Yeah. Um, well, uh, nursing homes, uh, skilled nursing in particular, is um, uh, in a different fight than than most other. Uh, you know, acute care, for example, we have to make sure that we protect our seniors. So uh, when I think it was about March, -March, mid-March, when this thing became real for many of us, uh, what we needed to do was make sure our residents in their homes, which is our our facilities and our staff were protected. So the starting point was to uh, make sure we didn't have visitors coming in uh, who could po- possibly uh, contaminate them with the virus, but also looking for PPE. Uh, we needed to uh, uh, have our staff, which we did, have our staff uh, um, in masks and gowns and so forth, so that they're protected, so that they in turn could keep our our uh, seniors protected. And then, you know, to the extent that um, anybody caught the virus. Um, You know, we didn't have a situation where we had to send multiples of people home, for example. Um, So uh, that's that's what our operating team did. And,
0: uh, you know, I give them
1: uh, credit for for doing it early, even though the supplies weren't necessarily there.
0: So could you talk a little bit about maybe how that strategy might differ from other operating companies? So for example, like if we look at a state like Kentucky, I think that they're giving a fairly good amount of reimbursement per day if you have COVID in the building, from my understanding. Um, And I guess if you could confirm that, and then what does your strategy look like compared to what you're seeing out there in the market and what other operators are doing today?
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, First of all, uh, having The the initial thrust was to not have COVID in the building. Uh, We ended up, uh, like I said, having PPE and and other protocols to keep people separated. Um, And uh, to the extent that uh, somebody actually caught the virus, we had one facility in particular where a uh, a staff member had the virus. Uh, They were sent home just on suspicion because we we were testing everybody. And then a week later, we got the diagnosis. And of course, they stayed home and recovered. Um, At the same time, we had residents who we suspected of having the virus, and they went out to the hospital. Uh, There they got tested, and some of them had the virus and others didn't. Um, And of course, they stayed in the hospital until they were ready to return. So as we stand now, we have uh, staff members and residents who are who had the virus and are recovered that are back in the facility.
0: Okay, as opposed to if if they were in the facility while they were COVID positive. Right. Uh, to Brandon's point, uh, for example.
1: Yeah. So, so if if for example if somebody's COVID positive and they're in the facility, you know that's a separate uh, another issue. Uh, mm. We can uh, and we have with the flu and so forth where we isolate and quarantine. Um, And we've done those things uh, within our our facilities. For example, hospitals weren't testing. So uh, we would get an admission from a hospital and uh, um, they they weren't tested to make sure that they didn't have the virus. Of course, they were not symptomatic. Uh, But what we did at the onset was those people coming into our facilities were in a separate quarantine section for 14 days before they moved into the um, into maybe a general population hallway. Uh, now, that was our approach. You know, I know that there are some other operators who didn't uh, have their their uh, staff members in PPE and protective equipment, um, you know, well into April. Uh, so, wow. and and they they of course run a different different risk. You know, if they have an employee that, that gets the virus. Um, then you look at who they got. were in contact with, and um, that person or those, that group of people would potentially have to go home.
0: Could you talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned a lot, testing. So how has that evolved since the beginning of this virus started to where you stand today with testing? Is that more favorable today than it was you know, two months ago, or are you still in the same spot?
1: Testing is actually... Um, it's different by state. We operate in two states, Kentucky and Ohio. And uh, in Kentucky, they've actually mandated testing for staff and employees, okay. uh, or staff and uh, our residents, residents. Uh, in our facilities. And that was being implemented just last week. And so they're going through a mandatory testing phase. Um, so from a testing standpoint, um, you know, it, it's, it's by state, I'm sure what people are doing, um, and it's based on availability and the desire to test. So Ohio is also um, going to be testing. Uh, You mentioned uh, earlier, you asked the question, too, about reimbursement. Mm -hmm. There really isn't um, uh, reimbursement, per se, for for our issues. First of all, uh, our issue is protection more so than caring for now we've we've opened some COVID units that I can talk about in a minute, but uh, and that's just recent. But uh, uh, for the most part, our costs have been incurred in additional salaries. We we gave people hourly hourly employees a raise um, as soon as this happened, as soon as this became real, um, and uh, we needed to retain staff was the the key thing. Uh, we also had to buy additional PPE, which um, initially, you couldn't find, and then if you could find it, it costs more. So we ended up having to pay the additional for, for, uh, for that equipment um, if we could find it, and which we did. I mean, we, we do have a, a good supply. Um, and then there's additional costs in, in terms of uh, um, we have people isolated. So they're not going to the dining rooms for, for their meals. They're going into their rooms. Uh, so we're using paper products and so forth, and that's an additional cost. And then just with, uh, protocols, everything is more time intensive. Uh, so there's, there's additional challenges in that in terms of staffing and making sure we keep up with all of the residents' needs. Um, and then you have the social aspects. The first thing, first thing we did when we found out that we weren't going to have, uh, loved ones come into the facilities, which is really uh, uh, an important part of their experience is having, you know, family and friends come in. Uh, We bought iPads and uh, actually ended up uh, FaceTiming and and doing different things so that they would have some kind of a contact.
0: Um, How are they adjusting? Are are you used, just out of curiosity, are you using your staff to train them on how to use that and get that up to date on how to do a FaceTime call and things like that?
1: uh that's a good question frankly I don't know i mean'm'm I'm the see I'm I just know thing
0: yeah everybody
1: knew how to do it there's enough uh, uh tech savvy and actually we have a, a good it department that set them up yeah that's great. but in terms of training I don't think it took much
0: for training. good yeah
1: yeah so uh so there's there's a there's many facets to this um as far as reimbursement is interesting uh, kind of being cutting edge and getting the iPads out there, for example, uh, grant money was available, um, from a federal standpoint, um, like a month later. So the only issue is if you bought it already, you can't use the grant money. So we were ahead of the curve on that. Um, we could step up, uh, what we're doing with iPads, for example, communication with grant money, but it, there wasn't a, a chance to recover what we've already spent. Uh, the states uh, are really paying for this additional cost. That's one of the issues. Okay. Uh, we did get uh, federal get grant money through the CARES Act. Uh, initially, that came based on our Medicare uh, census and our Medicare experience over the past couple of years. Uh, they determined an amount that would come to us and that, that appeared in our bank accounts. Um, so that's been... You know, definitely a, a good federal support for us. Was that a and, one-time uh, more...
0: one-time support?
1: Um, yeah, it actually came in two payments. Okay, uh, but it, it's uh, expected to be one-time. I don't know if there's uh, additional funding coming our way from the CARES Act for that component. Okay, uh, but there are other components that are are yet to be paid. Uh, we did receive another. Um, uh, piece of funding in, in terms of a grant that came, uh, just a couple of weeks ago that was nursing home specific. So where the first batch was based on Medicare census. So the people who don't have Medicare in their facilities didn't get anything. Uh, the second, uh, tra- uh actually the second tranche came, uh, based on, uh, um, just a census population.
0: Okay. So was that that Four point nine billion dollar relief fund. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from what, if I understand that correct, I think that was was that fifty thousand per facility and twenty five hundred a bed, in correct. addition to that. Correct. Okay. Okay. So you have two sides of the coin here. You have really n- no help from the states on the revenue side. Um, just a couple grants that offset these increased expenses of you have the PPE. At least when it comes the grants to grants were bad. Yeah, at least when it comes to the states that you operate correct. in, correct? Right, Ohio and Kentucky. Yes. Okay, so you have the PPE. That obviously all those those additional costs. You have the labor, and and with the labor, you're you're giving them raises. Was there much overtime or agency associated with that increased cost as well?
1: Uh, actually, there was. Um, in some cases, um, some cases people. You know, came into work, of course, uh, but in in other cases, uh, they were scared. You right. know, as a whole, our our heroes are really our staff members. Um, they stepped up in a major way. Uh, that being said, some of them were afraid. Some of them, you know, had family members that I'm sure uh, told them they shouldn't go in and so forth. And at a certain level, you know, we had some staff that that decided not to continue to work. But for the most part, our staff did. Now that caused some shortages, so we had people work overtime. Um, Because we we have a we have very much a special uh, group of staff that that care for our seniors in our skilled nursing facilities. Uh, It's amazing; they're uh, very mission driven, and uh, they're going to see that the needs are met for our residents. So, uh, whatever it took, some some incredible people you know worked extra hours and and did what they needed to do to make sure everybody was cared for and our needs were met
0: yeah and so i think when this there's is there's all... some
1: additional costs some of those some of those are hourly some of them are salary um so um but um, from a staffing standpoint uh we also are dealing with a census drop so um then we get to the point where um you can't uh, retain all the staff. So, um, that's part of the challenge too. When, when, when census decreases, uh, uh, which is mainly, a um, an issue with just stopping elective procedures in hospitals and, and just the general fear that's, uh, that would possibly stop somebody from, uh, um, going into a nursing home.
0: Yeah. And in, and you turn on the news and and nursing homes aren't necessarily getting the best coverage right now. And, and you you said it, well, there is a lot of fear and your, your mom falls, breaks her hip, goes to have surgery. Um, the kids might not want her in a nursing home right now. So how do you, as an operator, how do you, um, how how do you get rid of that stigma? That's, that's going, how do we get past this? Well, not, sorry, not only, um, Does that pertain to the actual resident and the families, but the employees, as you mentioned, David, as well? I think it's a challenge um, to bring staffing in. And you had mentioned that you're already losing staff because of this.
1: Yeah. um, Like I say, it's as a majority, um, our staff are incredible. Um, We've got, you know, nurses, nurse aides, therapists, uh, dietary staff, and then all of the the other functions that are direct care providers, as well as our administrative functions in the facilities that all keep it going. Um, as a whole, uh, uh, and I've been in this industry for 30 plus years, um, it's amazing to see uh, the people who choose to work to, to care for our seniors, how driven they are to provide that care. Uh, so you know they they've stepped up as a whole. That's probably the bigger story. Um, there are some people like I say uh, they they chose not to come in, um, but as but for from a majority standpoint, um, they were going to do what what needed to be done, and um, and they still are. Frankly, this this is not subsided by any means. And you know the additional thing is, you know, you, we have residents that are in their individual rooms, so um, they need people to come in and care for them. So where they're they're lacking in socialization, they're not going to the dining room three times a day or, or to other activities and so forth. Um, that's that's a crucial part of their you know daily experience that they're missing out on. So we make sure that uh, that people come to them. And one of the other areas of support for us was that we were able to, and we are able to skill um, some of the residents in their room. And by that, I mean you know mm-hmm. we we look for uh, some needs for therapy and 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 other things, and uh, um, make those assessments. And uh, you know we could qualify them for Medicare, for example, Medicare Part A, which typically to qualify for a new um, service for, for to meet the skilling criteria one of the things is you have to be in a hospital for three days well that was waived as part of the response to covid that allowed us to then provide that additional care within their rooms which um you know i think it was a a, a major benefit
0: and i think to the resident absolutely you know, and i couple. think um you know one additional selling feature at, at least for your company is that you aren't allowing covid um patients in your in your facilities or essentially employees you're you're saying that they need to be quarantined um that hasn't necessarily been the story that we've heard in other states uh throughout this entire process so i think that that story is um a good one and a positive one that you're you're treating it serious and you're looking at the data that's coming out and um treating it as if it is real data and these are real people and it is serious.
1: Well, yeah. And it, it's, it's also timing. That's so right. when we looked at how this was, you know, how we were confronted with uh, COVID-19 initially and uh, our, our executive staff is, is second to none um, from, you know, Chris Trumbler, our CEO, John Muller, our COO and Kim Magic are, um, one of our officers, our executive team, really a- analyzed, with among others, every uh, bit of information that was coming out in CDC guidelines and constantly changing. Like we had to change what, how you use PPE so that we could extend the life of, of the PPE so we had sufficient quantities. So, um, you know, since since this evolved, the initial thrust was, yes, we want to keep them out of our facility. Keep COVID positive out of our facility to the extent that we knew that they're positive. Uh, now that's changed. Uh, we're looking at, we have a, a, a couple facilities because of the physical plant and the decreased incentive census, census. We have wings that we could use that have separate entrances where we can treat COVID and take COVID positive residents in those facilities. Um, so we've done that. Uh, so we we have um, uh, a couple facilities where you know the the, the the residents are not they don't need to be hospitalized they don't uh, their their uh, uh, symptoms are such that you know we can care for them and we can care for them very well um, and you know with our, our protocol and the physical plants we can make sure that they are very much safe in and the rest of our our residents are safe um, from, you know, getting a COVID infection from the individuals that come in because we have these separate wings that we could use. And
0: do you think you mentioned the physical plant? Um, do you think that we're to the point where we start to look at the existing physical plants going forward, and it, whether that be through renovation or, you know, as we start to develop new senior housing projects and skilled nursing facilities throughout the country. Do You think that's something that people need to start taking a look at a little bit more seriously and kind of reassigning their capex to, to accommodate that.
1: Our industry is constantly changing, uh, in terms of what our demands are from a, a physical plant, uh, you know, people want more private rooms, um, people want more amenities uh what we do at CareSpring is we've always tried to meet those uh you know those needs our, our founder barry bortz who uh, passed away in 2016. Uh, he had a mission to make sure that um, these our, our staffs or our residents needs were met but also that they really had a nice environment i always like to hear uh, many times that people who move into our facility say these are these are the nicest. This is the nicest place I've ever lived in. Um, so uh, to do that, we've had to make changes and accommodate, you know, changing needs. I, I think that that will continue. Um, in terms of a, from a financial standpoint, what we need in this industry is to have more capabilities to to uh, uh, pay for and fund replacement facilities. Yes. Um, you know, we we are. We're in this challenging um, phase in our, our industry where we want to do more, and uh, there, there's more demands on us for quality and uh, and measured quality from the state's perspective um, and more documentation. All these things take time and resources. Um, yet uh, we're, we're asked to do more, but then there's more demands on us you know, from a physical plant in terms of what people want for amenities and, and private rooms and things like that. So to meet all of those things uh, with some buildings that, frankly, industry-wide are, are getting old, yes. um, that's, that's, that creates a huge challenge. So somewhere to uh, meet the needs um, going forward, we're going to need some additional funding and investment in our industry.
0: Right. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. I, you mentioned that the industry is changing. This is a, this is an extreme situation where it's, it's just such a fluid environment. And it sounds like you all have done a great job with getting through the chaos. And now we're at a point where you can come up and breathe. Um, but I, I, I don't think that you're unlike any other operator in that you're studying the environment and trying to figure out how to best care for the patients. And that's ultimately the, the most important responsibility. And it sounds like you guys are, are doing a great job with that, with, with you and your staff. So David, um, and, um, one thing I just wanted to ask, uh, kind of, before we let you go is, is there anything you, you mentioned a lot of the, the issues going on with, um, staffing, reimbursement, um, I guess, at the end of the day, what's keeping you up at night today? Hmm.
1: I would think um, the main thing I think about is what's right for our residents. Um, What's what this is their home. So we need to care for them. And then how do we support our staff in this process? Um, And uh, as a whole. And I'm not staying up at night, and that's because uh, the the leadership that, that we have at CareSpring, and um, you know, and I'm talking down through our facilities and our staff at a, as a, as a whole, um, they're focused. They're focused on on what's going on. Uh, the challenge we face uh, is how are we going to roll out of this? Um, give you an example. We're a very tight margin facility, uh, or industry as a whole. And our, our facilities are, 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 you know, it's a challenge to, to keep operating. Um, and at 90% occupancy, we do fairly well. Interesting enough, at about 88% occupancy, we struggle
0: doesn't take much, right?
1: No, it really doesn't. And uh, we are currently at uh, 79% as on an average uh you know how do we how do we move forward through the next several months and who knows how long this is going to last um how do we move forward to get where we need to be to be um you know on a firm footing uh financially uh, so that so that we can sustain um sustain ourselves without you know grants or additional funding so that's that's probably my, as a CFO, that's my biggest concern is, you know, dealing with the unknown. Yeah. So, um, and so far, um, you know, the federal government has stepped up and the states and, and state associations are doing, a, 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 I think, a good job in analyzing what we need to do going forward. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not done yet.
0: Well, the Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, are they, I mean, at, at 79, 80% occupancy, obviously that can't keep up for, for too long or the prop codes that you're working with, are they giving you any grace during this time?
1: That's a good question. So we, we operate with, um, uh, a, a REIT and uh, private equity companies, which functionally own our facilities and we rent them from them, uh, in, in long-term leases. So, um, they have given us, uh, moral support, but I don't expect that they're willing to, uh, not have a rent payment come in. So, uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, uh, one I talked to the REIT said they would look at it on a case by case basis, um, but would not, you know, I, I don't know what they would end up doing if we, we were not to pay the rent. That's a, a different relationship. Um, they, uh, as far as covenant violations, we have certain co- financial covenants that we need to meet. I did get assurance that they're not going to uh, um, hold us, you know, accountable for maintaining certain covenants um, during the,
0: the COVID-19 epidemic. Yeah, we're seeing that with other propcos as well. Yeah. Well, David, we certainly uh, have appreciated your time and your input here. Um, I think that we've definitely gained some value from this conversation. I I certainly appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Appreciate it.
0: David Eppers is the Chief Financial Officer at CareSpring Healthcare Management. And thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks, David.
1: You're welcome. Have a good day. You You
0: too. too. Hey, welcome to the What You Got segment of the show. This week I would like to discuss the opportunity to acquire two skilled nursing facilities in Western Michigan. Both of these facilities include about 90 beds or so, so 180 beds total. The owner would like to sell this in one transaction. So, total uh, EBITDA is about break even. However, the owner just received their updated Medicaid rate letter, and that should increase the EBITDA by about $300,000. There is additional potential upside, but again, these are these are turnaround assets in Western Michigan, about 180 beds, and um, there is some, some upside here. So if you would like to discuss this opportunity further, please contact me at ben at senwelladvisors.com. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at
0: www.senwelladvisors.com podcast.